joy. As a moving joy's music stand. Because <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to run into these. There we go. We'll move them over there a little bit. Light, love, peace, we get, but joy. By the way, I do want to mention, I brought my water bottle with me, because thanks to John Morell yesterday, he installed a water filler in the hallway here, so for now on, bring your water bottles, get all the water you need, Okay. But joy. Joy may be the most misunderstood longing of all the longings we're talking about. And especially, it sometimes can be even misused in applying guilt to people who are not feeling the joy. Are you feeling the joy? Sometimes what we do is in, our intentions are good, we, we mean well, but we say things like this. You know, you need to turn that frown upside down. And we mean well by that, but sometimes that trite cliche is more hurtful than helpful. Joy. What is joy? You see, I think we get off course when it comes to joy at the point of our feelings. And yet, as we're going to see, we are called over and over to this longing, this desire of joy. I meet more and more people for whom this time of year is hard. I, I can't count how many people this Advent season I've had conversations with where they've talked about how hard this is. Sometimes this holiday season brings back or triggers painful memories. Sometimes childhood traumas. Uh, sometimes places where mountains of grief roll in. For some people, it's like clockwork this time of year. Broken relationships make the, the water bitter from those rivers of Christmas specials that always end well. And want and need and poverty, they seem to make the materialistic focus of our age, and especially this time of year, like a cruel joke. So the question is, is there room in our Advent journey for those kind of places and those kind of hearts? Let every, every heart prepare him room, the carol says. How do you, though, prepare when all you want to do is lock and close the door to the room? You know, as God's people, we need to make space. 
We need to make space for Jesus to meet us in a hard space. And that's why we need to think about the longing of joy. Because deep down, inside every one of us, deep down, inside every one of us here today, those online, our neighbors we're going to meet, the people we're going to interact with, deep down inside, there's a song. There's a song. If you don't believe me, you need to believe Henry and Mary Lou. This is Henry and Mary Lou. There they are. Maybe you've seen the documentary Alive Within. If you haven't, you can go online and watch it for free. But Alive Within is a, is a documentary of the social worker Dan Cohen and his initial experiment with music and memory for those who suffer from Alzheimer's and dementia. And when he would begin to play music for them, familiar music for them, they would come alive out of their doldrum, out of their darkness. It was like light would break through. Henry, he, he, he was 94 years old, suffered from dementia. He was withdrawn. He'd sit in his chair and all day long he would just sit, not responding. They put a set of headphones on to Henry and they played some old jazz that he was familiar with. And his eyes got really big. And he started directing the music. And he started to try to sing it. And then right after that, they would have a conversation with him. And he'd be able to recount things from the past. And he'd be able to talk about so much joy. Mary Lou. Mary Lou suffered from Alzheimer's. She was scared. She was frustrated with all the things she was forgetting. And she felt so alone inside. We all have had family members, loved ones, friends who battled with Alzheimer's. What a hard, awful thing. And here she was. And what happened was they, they took the headphones and they put them on her ears and they began to play some of the music. Some of the music for her were things like The Beatles some of the 60s stuff, and she stood up and she began just dancing around the room. She takes her coat off and she starts dancing around the room and swaying, and you see that picture of her with her hands in the air. And all of a sudden, as she was there, she just began to weep. And when they got done, they took the headphones off and they asked her, are those tears of joy? She said, yes, there are tears of joy. And this is what Mary Lou said. She said, describing this, it can't escape me if I am in this place. Joy can't escape me. What if, what if joy can't escape us? That psalm that Pastor Mary read earlier is read, is in the lectionary cycle every year on this Sunday. Psalm 126. All that we're hearing and alive within, all that she is expressing, Mary Lou is expressing, it sounds like Psalm 126. We were like those who dreamed, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. You see, the people, they've escaped. Many of them escaped captivity. 
And, and yet, they're also faced, when they went home from Babylon to Jerusalem, they're, they're faced with a broken down Jerusalem. They're faced with a broken world that they're going to. They're faced with the loss of loved ones. They're faced with some of their friends and family who are still back in Babylon. And they're, they're wondering, they're crying out, and they're dreaming. And yet, in the midst of that, the song still sings. The song still sings. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. That's not penned in some wonderful ivory tower experience. That's penned in hardship. I guess the question I want to ask today is what do you dream of? We were like those who dream, the psalmist says. What do you dream of? There's some things I'm dreaming for this Christmas. Remember remember the song, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas? I'm not. I hope you're not. I don't know. I'm not sure if a white Christmas, depending on how much, if it's a dream or a nightmare. I don't know. But here, hear this, the, the, the image richness of this psalm, dreaming and laughter and singing and rejoicing. Why? Because they realize that the Lord does redeem tears and heartaches and even broken history, even in the midst of their pain. It's a reminder that joy lives beyond ease. And wonderful conditions. It lives beyond pleasures and experiences that enthrall us. And that is why attending to the longing of joy is crucial. If you want to prepare your heart and make room for him these next seven days, crawl your way into Luke chapter 1. And just read Luke chapter 1 and you get this sense of longing. You see Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, just longing. And then you, you come upon this virgin girl. And you hear longing in her heart. And they're longing for Messiah to come. And you have to understand that the world of the birth of Christ was not a nice world. And they're longing for something different. And finally, 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 longing for God to meet his people, God does just that. And the song that they held deep within them found a home on their lips. It found a home on the lips of a woman named Mary. She sings, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, the beginning of the Magnificat. Just, I read that early this morning, the whole thing. My soul glorifies God, my spirit rejoices. Joy. What is joy? Well, let's start with this. Joy is an anticipation. It's an anticipation. Joy anticipates what's ahead. Hear the language we're given today in this psalm. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. They're looking ahead. 
Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. It's anticipating something. We're all moving our way towards celebrating and welcoming Jesus. We're returning in history in our minds to welcome the coming of Christ at his birth. We are pulled in that moment into deep delight because God showed up in a messy infant to save our messy world. Amen. And and if that doesn't give us joy, probably need to take your blood pressure. Because think about it. But this joy we have now, this joy we have, is just a taste. It's just a foretaste of what lies ahead. Joy finds incubation in the anticipation that God has not forgotten his creation, but that God will bring restoration, that God will make all things right. There are some words that are so timely for us this time of year. Revelation 21, we can't overemphasize them enough. They're so familiar to us. Let us not just make them plain. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I just read these words from someone unknown. When we, bec- when we borrow joy from the future, we become more durable in the present. When we remember that God's going to make all things right, that he's come and he's going to come again. And what that truth does for us is inspires joy in the hardest of places. When we hold to the hope and the belief that the love of Jesus has conquered death and will someday make all things right, joy becomes a very reasonable response to darkness. And it starts with us remembering that he started that in that manger. He carries it to us today that we can anticipate he'll do in the future. That was the pulling energy of the early church. In Titus 2, it says, We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We wait, we anticipate, we look. Talking about joy, C.S. Lewis said it was a signpost. He said it was like a signpost you find when you're lost in the woods in the dark. So when you're lost in the woods, and if you're in the woods and you come upon a signpost and it says, this direction is home, you get excited. You get anticipation. You look forward. You look at that signpost and you say, yes, that gives me hope. But the signpost is not the destination. It's just a signpost telling you which way to go. Joy is a signpost. A signpost that points to what God wants to do in your life and in my life. It's a signpost that God has not forgotten us, that he will make all things right. It's a signpost that points to the destination. And the destination is Jesus. 
He's the destination. Anticipation is the fruit of a life desiring Jesus because we know what the signposts are telling us. And we can have hope. Now because of that hope, joy is also a determination. The psalmist says, as we read, as we heard Pastor Mary read for us, cuts a pathway, joy cuts a pathway through tears. Weeping is the current that joy flows in. Laughter and tears mix. Something of strength happens there. Some of the most famous words on joy are rooted in a place of great failure and great regret. A place where they completely blew it. And they knew it. And they were weeping. And they were regretting. And we read these words in the book of Nehemiah. The day is, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. They were being made aware of how far they had fallen, how they had failed, how they had not lived up to the covenant with God. Have you ever felt that way? We just have not lived up to the life you're supposed to have. Well, they said, listen, listen, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, built into the fabric of the community of the people of God is this intentional, counterintuitive act of rejoicing. It's counterintuitive. I have a love-hate relationship with these words from Wendell Berry. Look at what Wendell Berry says. So friends, every day do something that won't compute. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. Consider all the facts and then be joyful. Be joyful even though you have considered all the facts and even though the facts may seem like they mitigate against joy. Uh, those words, like I said, love-hate relationship, but Barry's right. This does not compute. Why does that not compute? Well, they tell us that the human brain tends to dwell on the negative. I read this this week. We are critics and complainers neurologically. Think about that. There's a name for this. It's called the negativity bias. And this is what it looks like. The negativity bias. Look at all that good stuff happening on the left side. But what we do is we, our mind just gets locked in on the negative. They say that 80% of our thoughts, some, some researchers say 80% of our thoughts are negative even though we have this abundance of positive stuff happening. And what we do is we just go, this is so great, all oh, this is so great, but we have this one negative thing. And, and we, get, we go down the rabbit hole of focusing on that. It's called the negative bias. What do we do with that? You see, Wendell Berry's words are counterintuitive to this, this human tendency. But 
they align with Scripture. I've been wrestling with this all week. Hi, my name is Jeff, and I confess that I have negativity bias. We should, we should, have, a, we should have a support group. Right? Amen? Right? I've been thinking about this all week. Listen to what the Scriptures say. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't, 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 don't put words in Paul's mouth that are not there. Don't say we're supposed to be thankful for everything. The Bible doesn't say that. It says be thankful in everything. It says rejoice always. Be joyful. Here's what's pretty amazing about this. Wherever you see these kind of statements in the New Testament, they are there, they're verbs, and they're in what's called the present imperative mood. And this is what it means. It means that what Paul is saying here, what the Bible is saying is this. You need to do this, and you need to do this now, and you need to keep doing this so that it becomes your lifestyle. That's what it means. So when we read these words, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer, if you want to know what your lifestyle is supposed to be like, that's a lifestyle issue. Rejoice always. He's saying you need to have a life and lifestyle, an ongoing lifestyle of rejoicing. It blows me away that scientific research says that pathological worry is replaced by thought replacement. Hear that. When we worry so much, the way to, to address that is to replace our thoughts with something good. I wonder... All this language of negativity bias and thought replacement and all that. Hmm. I wonder if they struggle with that in the New Testament. Because I wonder, I wonder, could it be that this is God's way of combating negativity bias? Be joyful in hope. Rejoice always. You see, our thinking and decision-making are powerfully impacted by the ways we recount how good God has been. Powerfully impacted. It's a decision. It's a decision about joy. And that decision about joy is about memory. Joy is a decision that connects us to the past and carries us into the future as we reflect on the goodness of God in the land of the living today. And strength comes out of that. Not in the circumstances, not in the feelings, but in the recognition of the faithfulness of Almighty God. There was a man who faced unimaginable hardship and pain. He was disrespected. He was dishonored. He was rejected. He lost friends. He lost his livelihood. He suffered homelessness, starvation, and abuse. 
His circumstances often reduced him to tears. But he said this, we have much sadness, but we are always rejoicing. The message paraphrase puts it this way, we are immersed in tears, yet always filled with deep joy. You see, lighting that third candle on God Day Sunday about joy is not about some escapism that causes us to try to pretend that the world doesn't hurt. It's not to deny where we have failed or to die where it's dark. You see, what we do with rejoicing is we claim the truth of John 1.5. We claim the truth that the light has come and the darkness can't overcome it. That's what we do. So when we rejoice, we light a candle in our hearts. During Advent season, I received the gift of a candle a number of years ago from Pastor Mary. It sits on my desk. During Advent, I turn it on and let it light. And all day, whenever I'm sitting at my desk, it's on there, it's on, my, it's on right now on my desk. I just light that candle because I remind myself that's a reason for joy. Light in the midst of darkness. It's a decision. It's not just an Old Testament thing or a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament thing. It's a Bible idea. Seeing the landscape of injustice and idolatry and impending war and destruction around him, Habakkuk makes a deliberate choice. Listen to these words. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Though there are no what? Though this is not happening in my life. Though this is not the place where I thought I'd be. This is not what I thought life would be. Though there are no, none of this that I wanted in my life. And though this has failed, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. It's this deliberate choice. What is my deliberate song of joy to God? You know, like those, like those patients in that documentary, Alive Within, they tapped into the deepest place and they found joy. And what joy does is joy causes us to look in the rearview mirror and remember where God has worked. Like the prophet looked at his world and it was decimated. Paul looked at his life. He had faced so much hardship, but they said, we are going to make a decision. 
Not based on how we feel, not based on our circumstances, not based off of us getting everything we want in life. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy, the psalm says. And so there's this call to exercise our muscle, our, our muscle memory, our memory muscle. How do you do that? Well, why don't you listen to that joyful Christmas music? Why don't you blast it? I don't know about you. I pull up to some cars and they're vibrating. When I pull up. And they have a lot of bass. Right? Every once in a while I pull up to cars when they're doing that. And my, my little radio in my car is not going to be, but I crank it up. I put my windows down. I don't look to the right. I don't look to the left. I just look straight. So, you know, I, I think what I want to do this Christmas is maybe I need to do that some people. Some people, are, did you ever notice that the Grinch population is growing? Have, anyone? So maybe we need to just go and we need to crank up a door or we need to crank up, you know, some, I don't know, get hold of um, Maverick City Christmas album and just put it down. So do that. Listen to that joyful Christmas music. Watch that Christmas movie that points to redemption. A friend of mine told me they watched I Heard the Bells the other day, so I watched it with Kathleen the other night. If you've not watched I Heard the Bells, watch I Heard the Bells. And watch the true story of that carol. So watch that Christmas movie that points to redemption. Read the Christmas story over and over and over and over again. Tell yourself and others the ways God, ways God has been good to you. And find someone, anyone, who can be benefited by your blessing. Because closely connected to joy is gratitude and contentment and satisfaction. That's the third one. Joy is a satisfaction. You know, we read it too quickly. We go through it too quickly. We must savor it. We read it through modern eyes. But we must read it from the eyes of those who are longing deeply for Messiah to come. Because when we do, we see it's about the ultimate satisfaction of the longing of joy. Hear it again. Just hear it. Hear it. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. There's a question that comes out of that. It's a question of joy. And the question is this. Here's your question. Are you satisfied with Jesus? Are you satisfied with Jesus? Don't answer that too quickly. Let's, let's sit with that question. Am I satisfied with Jesus? That's the question for us. So this past Tuesday night, our, our men's group, I told them I was going to give them credit, so I'm giving them credit now. They're, they're getting credit in the, the sermon. I'm going to write it down here in it. 
I asked them to define joy. So I'm going to send them any royalties I get from this sermon. And it's just a glimpse of what they said. Those guys are so great. But let's look at some of them. Go ahead, next slide. The emotion of the soul. Unplanned exhilaration. Joy comes from trust. It carries a sense of well-being. It is found in ministry to others. Next one. Joy is overflowing. That's what Scripture says. It's an unwavering belief that God is always present no matter the circumstances. I'm not going to say who said that, but he's a pretty long-winded guy in our group. He said that. Joy resonates with our core identity as a child of God. It's rooted in contentment and satisfaction. And lastly, joy is derived from Jesus. John 15, 11 says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Don't, don't walk out of here thinking that this is just like a constant arc upward. There are ebbs and flows, and no doubt the earliest Christians like us struggled to live with joy. They struggled. Why else would the scriptures, why else would Paul write letters telling them to rejoice? Why else? Why were the people of God constantly told to rejoice, to practice joy? Why? Because they probably struggled like you and I. But this pervasive sense of rightness with God through Jesus provides a joy that is distinctly, and hear that clearly, distinctly from a relationship with Jesus. 1 Peter 1.8 says, although you've never seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you trust him and so rejoice with a glorious joy that is too much for words. C.S. Lewis was so satisfied with Jesus that the title of his spiritual autobiography is Surprised by Joy. But listen to how he describes joy, and we'll wind this up. It's a little long, but it's worth it. The central story of my life is about an unsatisfied desire which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. I call it joy, which is here a technical term and must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and from pleasure. Now look what he says. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. Biggest mistake people make. I didn't go to religion just to try to be another form of being happy. And I love his next line. I always knew a bottle of port wine could do that. (laughs) Joy is never in our power and pleasure often is. Joy is distinct from pleasure. Did you hear it? The great joy of life is to have a great longing for God. (laughs) Wow. And that's a paradox. The longing increases, but there is greater satisfaction. A deep longing more desirable than anything else, one with great joy and deep hope. And so no wonder Paul prays this prayer. May the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As Dan Boone said, may we find the well-beaten path to a hopeful future in this joyous season of God's coming. So yes, yes. Jesus himself is the joy of every longing heart. So I guess the question is this. Wherever you are in life, whatever you're encountering, do you have the joy of Jesus down in your heart? Down in your heart. Down in your heart. You see, that joy carries us a long way through many places. Not the, not the fleeting nature of happiness. Not the perceived security of perfect circumstances. But the joy of one who fulfills the Advent promise you sang, Emmanuel, God with us. Thanks be to God. And now, as our worship team comes, it's time to deliberately make a choice to rejoice. Let's pray together. Now, God, we just come to you and we're grateful. We're so grateful, Lord God, for your grace to us. And yes, Lord God, in the midst of life, we choose joy. You call us to choose joy. You call us to embrace joy. You call us to declare joy. You call us to choose joy even when everything within us doesn't want to do that. You call us to choose joy even when that's a mystery to those around us. You call us, Lord God, to choose joy because the truth is you came and you brought joy for all the people and that includes us because you are our joy you came and you come right now and you meet us and we have the hope that deep song within us longs for your coming again when you make all things right. So we adore you today. We just are going to make the choice to joyfully adore you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand, please.